Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Joe Dunleavy, Head of Innovation at Digital Transformation Company and David. How are you doing, Joe? How are you, Ronan? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm trying to get the best of weather, and I know it's pretty bad where you are. Yeah, I had a bit of a bumpy couple of days with the, the last three storms that rolled in, but <laughs> heading towards the end of February, so hopefully uh, spring is uh, spring is in the air. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in the next couple of weeks anyway. That's the hope. That's good news. Anyway, first of all, tell us a bit about your background so you know who you are. Sure, yeah. Uh, Jordan Levy is my name. I head up innovation at Endava, uh, which is a London headquartered company focusing on digital transformation. And uh, we can get into what that means as well as, as part of the discussion. Uh, prior to that, I spent 16 years in technology within the financial services industry, working for uh, Primerica Systems Ireland in Letterkenny, uh, which was a subsidiary of Prudential Financial, the large US corporate. Uh, prior to that, was involved in a startup with a couple of other guys, which was a good experience and uh, plenty to talk about there as well. Yeah. And uh, before that started my career in Microsoft in, in Dublin. So I'm a computer science graduate and uh, have been involved in the technology scene for about the last 20 years or so. Yeah, so I guess you've been involved in all areas of tech from startups through the fintech, which is which is a good, and Microsoft too, good basis. Yeah, nice, uh, nice blend, I suppose, of the, the large tech corporate and the Microsofts the startup ecosystem and everything that went with it, raising funding, uh, the flat pack furniture from IKEA to get us up and running, installing our own network, everything that went with it, uh, and then in the financial services domain as well, quite an extensive experience, uh, 16 years there, and, and some of that was spent in the US as well, working within the within the headquarters as well, so nice, nice blend, I suppose, of different experiences, different size companies. Yeah, and I guess that brings into what you do now, because digital transformation to me has come very, very big because of the pandemic. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, I suppose digital transformation and what it means to different people in terms of it's one of those things that, that maybe has a different uh, meaning to folks, but certainly from a pandemic perspective, I think it put it right in the center. Uh, a lot of companies in Ireland in particular, in order to survive, had to look at online, had to jump uh, on the online, even if it wasn't something that was their, their comfort zone, just in some cases to survive, or in some cases just to still bring in income. I go to the gym, uh, gym here locally in uh, in Letterkenny, and uh, in that particular case, obviously, gyms very much an in-person activity. I help the the guy who um, single guy supports his family, uh, single single income family, and uh, helping him uh, jump online and using something like Facebook Live and integration with Team Up to allow him to do online classes. But it all it was ultimately it's necessity from a digital transformation perspective uh, in the case of, of local gyms and. and businesses around the country jump, jumping online delivery and everything so I think it's accelerated everything to be honest with you by probably five to ten years and, and I don't know if that genie ever goes back in the bottle. Yeah about a year and a half ago I did a podcast with a girl who was a woman who, who used to do yoga lessons and, and all that keep fit in a local church hall in Wexford and then yeah. pandemic hit. She then went and did yeah. it online. She's now got more clients than ever from all over the world. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Adam Spear, the guy who's gym here locally, exact yeah. same thing. He's got Irish guys and gals from all uh, that have traveled all over. Some guys like working with him now in Dubai, uh, and he's still got them as clients. So, I mean, again, I suppose 
there's been a lot of negatives to the, to the pandemic, but you know there has been some positives from a business and certainly in terms of adopting some technology, so that's good to see. Well, see, to me, the thing is, technology has improved so much in the past 10 years and got so advanced that doing this is, is an issue, whereas 10 years ago, it would, you could have done it, but you wouldn't have had the speeds of broadband you have now. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I actually had that conversation with a couple of colleagues. Imagine if the pandemic hit five, five, ten years ago, to your point. Look at the uh, the adoption of broadband technology, even around Ireland. How much, and now it's not, we're not there yet. There's still plenty of homes that still needed as part of the national broadband strategy. But in compared to where we are five years ago, our ability to work from home relatively seamlessly was, was a huge benefit, not only here in Ireland, but across the world. And I think... Um, I, for one, was happy to have uh, sit on the end of, of broadband here in Donegal that allowed me, from a, from a work perspective, for it to be seamless. You know, I was one of the lucky ones in the in working in technology to be for that to be the reality. But um, certainly, I completely agree with you. Uh, God knows where we would have been five, ten years ago if the pandemic it wouldn't have been as easy as it was to work from home. Your nurse as well. They're working from home. If you got a, a mobile phone, which most people smartphone, which people do, you can check your email on that in the morning when you get up in the morning. And the first thing, you can look at that. Rather than go to your laptop or computer, you can just look at your phone and see what's important. And that can dictate how you, how you handle your day. Like, it, it was kind of looking at it and go, nothing, nothing worthwhile we're applying to now. You can go and just have a lazy coffee and then turn the computer on. But if you know something's important, you then decide, do I apply now on my phone or do I apply yeah. now on my laptop or do I wait until later in the day? Is it that important? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think uh, I was reading an article there recently. I think it's one of the, the most people... With a smartphone, the first thing they do when they wake is actually look at their phone. Um, now, obviously, there's probably good, good and bad to that side of uh, of the the kind of suppose our reliance on technology almost. But to your point, uh, it's valuable when it comes to planning your day and realizing if there's anything burning uh, in global companies. Many people in Ireland working for global companies. It's a nice way to be able to check in to see if there is something uh, that requires attention. And it allows you to maybe prioritize your morning, which is always uh, useful, especially now as more flexible working arrangements has become the norm. And also you've got the ability to do like Zoom or Skype calls or other yeah. calls on your mobile device too as well, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we use Teams in, my, in uh, Microsoft Teams in Endava. Yeah. And even the small thing, like if you start the, the Teams call on your mobile device, let's say you're, you're running your kid to the local uh, school type of thing and you're on Bluetooth in the car, come back into the house and it's seamless in terms of connecting back into your, your work machine. You don't even have to drop the call. Like Those little things, those sort of things that we've seen with Zoom and Teams and others have been uh, great additions. But but to your point, it, it just helps in terms of that kind of frictionless tech. Yeah, because to me it's great when you've got, when, when basically, you know that that if you've got a, if you've got a mobile device, you know it's going to work and the speeds are always great anyway because if you haven't got, if you're using Wi-Fi, it's gone down. You know you've got the four or five to get built to on your smartphone to take care of that. Yeah, no, it, it's incredible. I even I'm up in Donegal in, in Letterkenny, and even here where I am, about five or six kilometers outside Letterkenny, I am I'm on a five G uh, setup with with uh, three mobile. Yeah. And even there, if your broadband goes down, which in fairness is a rarity today, but to your point, if you run a speed test on somebody's five G connection, it's absolutely staggering the speeds we're getting. Considering about Five years ago, I sat on satellite broadband with a with a ten gig a month cap. So we, we've we've come a long way, and I know we're going in more and more adoption of it, more and more rollout across the country. But I think it makes a huge difference to not just work, but how we deliver products, how we we use things from an e-commerce perspective, how we interact, how we t- how we chat to people. It, it's, it's definitely a bit of a game changer. Where do we get sixty? 
That's going to be a game changer. Yeah. Because <clears throat> right now, that's in China at the moment. That is in China. And it's yeah. scary what speeds that can get. It's incredible. Like, um, even where I am, on 5G, I'm, I can still pull 25, 30 meg uh, outside of, you know, 5, 6 kilometers outside of town of Letterkenny. Um, up in Downings on the beach there, I ran a speed test last summer and I was pulling almost 80 meg. Which is incredible sitting on the beach in, in, yeah. in Donegal, you know. It's uh, it's nice to see because what you're starting to see is the, the the rollout of the technology countrywide, which is which is long overdue, and certainly it helps with where people do their jobs, how people do their jobs, and and this reality of you know, especially if you can work at the end of a computer or a device, you can technically kind of work from anywhere. I suppose COVID's showing that not only is it technically possible, but also that people are maybe more open to the idea. Yeah, that leads on to the next question, which is basically how we can make competitive as a country against other markets. And I guess that's because of technology, as you mentioned. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of points to that. I mean, the Irish uh, market from a competition perspective and how do we remain competitive, particularly in the technology industry. I suppose we've had a lot of success over the last couple of years with the um, support from the likes of the IDA, foreign direct investment jobs coming into the country. It's nice to also see a really vibrant startup ecosystem in Ireland across the country, various people setting up organizations and the likes. For me, a couple of things that are key to it, you know, the, the rollout of broadband and, you know, 5G and, and the likes countrywide is, is a really, really important part and continuing to invest in that infrastructure will be a really important part to your point about 6G. The talent is everything though, right? I mean, the people side of the, the, the yeah. equation is, is a really key part. So the numbers of people uh, in the last 20, 30 years in Ireland that have gone to third level education the numbers still seem to stay very, very high. It's going to be the critical part because I think we've talked about a war on talent uh, globally. I think you're maybe going to see a lot more of that considering that people can now live and work maybe for more parts of the world than we've seen before COVID. So the talent thing is really, really important. So continued investment by the Irish government and people uh, into the education system and whatever the future version of the education system is going to look like, but also being a welcoming country, right? Yeah. Here in Donegal, when I worked uh, in Primerica, we, we had about 35 nationalities represented. I think it's really nice to see that, and, uh, and it's a really big plus for Ireland to be a welcoming country, because we're not going to have organic growth in the population to, to be competitive here for all of the, the technology opportunities that are coming. So I think being a welcoming country that invites people from across the world to, to come and live here and, and, and make, make this their home is a key point as well. Yeah, to me, I'm thinking about education, because you mentioned education, I'm thinking of years ago, you did a computer science course. That was the only course you could do on technology. Yeah. Nowadays, you can do you can do courses on from cloud computing through video gaming to uh, uh, audio and everything else. And so it, it, it's great because it, it, you diversify in what you can learn, which means yeah. more chance of people having skills for certain jobs required. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's not only the breadth of the opportunities uh, to study in college in terms of the courses, but also the fact that you can be now quite specialised. So you mentioned cloud computing there, right? Yeah. You've got degrees and master's degrees in the likes of cloud computing, AI and data science, which I think is the important part, right? If we are going to be, to, to your competitive question previously, if, if we want to be known for something in Ireland and remain competitive, I think it's important that we have our specialist areas. In order to have those specialist areas, particularly when you're studying uh, to be ready to go out into the jobs market, I think it's important to have more than kind of the, the, the breadth of all of the technology domain, but also include the, the, the deeper uh, areas of subject matter expertise you're going to require to, to be a specialist, right? Because yeah, I've seen over the past few years, AI and data science has become more and more popular. Right now, that's the one area that can't get jobs. People can't get, 
people to fill those jobs. And that's where the big pay is as well. Yeah, more, more demand than, than there is people to do them. Um, it's a really, really interesting topic, that whole artificial intelligence and data science domain. Um, you, you know, do you, if you're a, a company, do you build your own team, your own set of experts? Do you train up your, your organization to deliver your own? Or do you look at what's happening with some of the cloud providers and maybe potentially the democratization of artificial intelligence? Now, I'm not saying we're, we're there. I'd say we're, we're a lot further away than we think, but you can't argue with what Amazon, Google, Microsoft are doing in terms of acquisitions of AI startups and, and companies throughout the world that impose those capabilities into their cloud-provided uh, services, and then you go with a pay-as-you-go model for AI. I do think you're going to see more specialized AI in the cloud for things like financial services and others in the future. I think that's the direction we're going to go. But to your point, if a company can't uh, develop or even bring in their own staff to deliver artificial intelligence or data science for them, will the cloud be where they naturally turn and then pay as you go? Because there is a bit of a chicken and egg. If it, you know, there's not, there's not an unending list or an unending amount of people available in the artificial intelligence domain. It, it's, it's, it's a limited resource globally. Yeah, I did a podcast a few years ago with a company, I think it's called Corporate, forgotten their name, but they're based in Dublin, and they do technology that AI-based machine learning, and it detects trades on the, on the threats or markets. So yeah. every every basically piece, like like if you go to the London markets or or, or the Wall Dow Jones, etc., it checks all, all, all the trades, and it can tell within a millisecond if a trade is real or fake. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking, and as companies doing this, then I went to interview a company called Voices. They used to, they're based near where I am in Circle Docks area in Dublin. And when I interviewed them, I, I interviewed two of their members. I interviewed their founder. I interviewed one of the guys that joined them who used to be um, in, the, in the VC world. And he joined them and, and they were doing very, very well. And then about two years ago, Apple bought them over. Because right. they were doing voice technology, a bit like Siri, but it was designed for more business end. And then yeah. Apple saw what they were doing and they just hired a guy called Ian Dodson. He used to be head of voice in Google. So it's like, we want you to work with us, we want you to stay, because you're, you're from Edinburgh and, and you live there, stay there, set up a team there, base yourself there, and that's it. And then about a year later, Apple then bought them, because they saw it, they realized what they're doing, we can't do ourselves. So if we can't do this ourselves, Apple tend to buy somebody who does it for them. Rather than spend money on, on doing all this research and all that, if someone's doing better than them, go and buy The same with like, when they de- de- developed the iPhone, iPod Touch, they... They knew what they wanted to do, but they saw something that was doing that already, so they bought the company out. Same with Siri. They bought Siri yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pattern, right? Yeah. Particularly in big tech, you start. You only have to look at the venture capital uh, investments in the startup ecosystem that shows the sheer amount of money that's going into the startup ecosystem. Yeah. But then you can also, on the other side, look at the M&A uh, activity, particularly by some of the large tech players. Now, long term, long, long term, I'm not sure... Um, it's going to be to everyone's interest to have two or three major players owning, let's say, all of the AI uh, deliverables globally because although it's a pay-as-you-go service from a cloud provider perspective, I also think that element of competition and, and, and other things that you can get into there as well. So, But there is positives to it. If you're a small to medium-sized company sitting in, um, I don't know, let's say Claire, and you have data science or artificial intelligence in the form of machine learning could be a game changer for you and what you deliver and not having to bring in your own AI and build that capability in a team itself but instead you know leverage that off an Azure or a GCP yeah. or an AWS it is a bit of a game changer particularly on that pay-as-you-go model as well so yeah. 
there's pluses and, 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 and cons there to too. To me, it shows that DC companies that are Irish based and Irish founded could do so well. Yeah. And uh, and they basically, the, one of them, the corpus company is still going, still uh, independently owned. But the other company is always taking them. But it just shows that around the world, our technology has been used. And years ago, that would have been a case of, oh, the technology would, would have been from Silicon Valley. Not anymore. No, I think you're seeing the ultimate level playing field now. Uh, and, and what you're starting to see is with technology being rolled out, particularly in the likes of infrastructure around broadband, cellular technologies, uh, the ability to be funded wherever you are, the ability to maybe grow a team, even though the team doesn't have to physically be located alongside you. Um, not only that, but the price point of, of starting a company now is a, a fraction of what it was when I was involved in a startup you know, 15, 20 years ago. So there's a, there's a lot to be said, I think. What's going to be interesting as well during the pandemic is there's been a sheer boom in the amount of startup companies that have, have, have you know, created in the, in the last 18, 24 months. Yeah. So you bring all that together, I think it's going to be a really vibrant ecosystem and it's interesting to see what are the startups now in the Ireland ecosystem that maybe go on to be the, the big names that we, we don't even know about yet uh, five to ten years from now and they'll all point to, you know, the the pandemic being the, the genesis of why they kind of jumped on that journey. So it's an interesting one to watch. And to me also, as a cost, like, let me just go, I did a postgraduate diploma in flat computing. When we're doing that course, I we found that we were getting charged a lot, for instance, to host stuff on the cloud. And that, that was an AWS or an Azure, Azure. Nowadays, the cost is minimal. Yeah, uh, it's so definitely the, the, the pay-as-you-go model with the cloud providers is really, really impressive. I still think... Um, you know, understanding when you jump on the cloud, as any company does, uh, having a well understood, you know, the reason you want to do it, making sure it's architected the right way, there's the well architected frameworks and the likes out there as well from best practices perspective, because we've all heard the horror stories too, you know, somebody yeah. spins up uh, a compute, a virtual compute, uh, using GPU for AI and forget to turn it off and, and the bill can kind of come in. So I think that, that that's more on the company to set up the right notifications, the right control mechanisms as well. But I do think the important part of it is um, it is definitely pay-as-you-go. It can be a very, very cost-efficient way to, to run your organization and your business. But it is important to not underestimate, you know, that having the right understanding of what you're doing, the notifications, the controls in place as well, because, um, you know, sometimes those bills at the end of the month can be surprising on the cloud as well, yeah, which they can be. Yeah. It can be on your data center as well, by the way. Yeah, and to me also, it's about scalability, because you might find during yeah. certain months, you're going to be quieter. So you're not going to use as much, and then come back to winter using a lot more, so you can scale up and down your usage, which is great. Absolutely. Particularly in the financial services domain, which would be something close to my heart. Uh, insurance guys running modeling uh, from an actuarial perspective, and they might test those models uh, maybe every quarter for, for risk assessment. In the past, pre the cloud, that would have been infrastructure sitting on-premise that for 90% of the year might just sit there idly doing nothing but is needed for that 10% yeah. time and you know that that whole use case that whole business challenge now has been eradicated because of the cloud scenario you bust out to the cloud you create the compute for what you need you time box and you spin it back down again like that is an absolute game changer for those large model number crunches whereby uh, the infrastructure used to sit there doing nothing a lot of the time you know so the, the cloud has been a, a I'm thinking of schools, for example, like during, during, during term time, they'll be used a lot, but when it's not term time, it, it'll be there lying idle. Exactly. The spikes in e-commerce is the exact same. Like yeah. You look at the scalability of the cloud when it comes to something like Black Friday. 
if you're an e-commerce play and you're delivering services, um, your compute requirements on Black Friday for that 48-hour, 24, 48-hour period, that spike can be managed within the cloud and you only pay for what you need before the cloud was a thing. Uh, you need to have the potential maximum amount of infrastructure you'd need to, to handle all your e-commerce because in the e-commerce game, nobody wants to get that 404 page and somebody can't reach it and, and close out their shopping basket. Yeah, and that thing I haven't seen for years, 404 page, and then I read about something <laughs> yesterday and it compared them thinking, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing that, because that's it brings it back to the earliest computing when 404 was something you see quite regularly. Yeah, I mean, in the e-commerce game, 404 is almost it's the equivalent of, of e-commerce debt, isn't it? Because the 404, you've lost the contents of your basket, and I don't know about you, but the chance of you going back in to load that basket back up to complete your transaction, it's probably gone. So it's, uh, you know, that in the e-commerce business, managing demand and the spike and having enough uh, power uh, to, to complete the, the transaction is, is, is everything in that business, you know? Yeah, and I guess getting on to this thing about innovation, what is key to it, and how do you make sure it speaks to the end user? I think innovation is an interesting one. It's a bit like the digital transformation. I think it's a word that um, has different meanings to, to people depending on how you ask. Um, from an innovation perspective, for me, I think ultimately it's about applied innovation. And what I mean by that is, is, is doing something. Innovation is the lifeblood of any company, uh, particularly when it comes to being strategic and, and being around uh, in the future. Uh, again, innovation, I think people get a little bit caught up in it and, I, and I'll touch on you know how we go about innovation um, a lot of people read about you know Elon Musk trying to send people to Mars and that's a definitely a form of innovation I think it's, it's a disruptive form of innovation no doubt about it but that's probably more in the innovation model horizons one two and three that's more your horizon three models there's very few of us in the world very few companies in the world that are focused on and need to be delivering horizon three innovation yeah. That being said, though, I think we all could make the case why we need to be at least focused on Horizon 1, which would be incremental innovation. Some people describe it as a Horizon 2, which might be disruptive for you as an organization. The critical part is that you're doing something, though, to progress, to improve. So from that perspective, uh, and how we would tackle innovation at Endava, we would always like to look at it from the product lens or from a user kind of perspective. So you know design thinking is is one of those niche areas you mentioned college courses and the likes there's plenty of of courses and diplomas now in the likes of design thinking user-centered design i think it's a critical part when it comes to innovation two things one is understanding what it is that you're trying to do or change and the reason for it and typically the reason for it is who's the what's the product you're trying to drive who's the persona the person that you want to try and delight who's the end customer I think only if you work backwards from, you know, what is it we're trying to do? What's the strategy we're trying to drive or the outcome we're trying to drive? Specifically then, what's Ronan looking for? So what's yeah. Ronan looking for from his next version of his phone? And then embedding that in a persona, leading with that, then allows you to go, you know, from an emerging technology and innovation perspective, how, what are the tools that we can then use to deliver that? But it's always about the outcome and the persona type. So I really like to think about innovation more from a product-led perspective than it just being we should innovate yeah. and let's put ideation let's ideate put posters on a board which which i think is always very hard to then you know connect back into the actual mission of what you're trying to do yeah i'm thinking of early 80s years in america Silicon valley and all these companies that are around and they're all most names we know like wang etc they've all gone now because they yeah. couldn't innovate innovate or die and they weren't able to innovate they were just reaching the same product year on year out and because of that they weren't there anymore and you got people like apple and microsoft and I, they're still around because <coughs> they knew they'd innovate or die. And they innovated. Absolutely. 
absolutely. I mean, prime example is I think it's Fujifilm. Yeah. Uh, created the digital camera, or somebody within Fujifilm created the digital camera. That's probably uh, one of the, the most documented one. Fuji manufactured the film itself, which is a lot much. They're more a chemical company than were anything else. Creating the film, the film was the cash cow. Uh, a guy internally comes up with the concept of a digital camera, actually creates a working prototype, brings it up, goes up the food chain, and I think they were kind of like, this is a disruptor to what we do. Unfortunately, they missed the boat on the digital camera. Others went on to make it a phenomenal success, and obviously from a Fuji perspective, uh, to your point about some of the other companies that went by the wayside, it's uh, it, that was an unfortunate example because they actually had the disruption. They actually had it within their own company, but I think it talks a little bit about you know not being afraid of what you, you, you find and, and encouraging that executive support and, and your testing and learning. It's almost as important as anything is to to not only be involved in the innovation story, but also be open to what is the outcomes of it as well. The thing, a friend of mine is, is a, as a camera, and he, he takes photographs as a photographer on his website, and he's got he's got basically a great Sony camera. And a couple of years ago, Fuji brought out this, this great camera, this camera that, was, that was designed for a certain market, and he goes, I'd love to buy it, but it meant buying new lenses, which is right. what they've got as a game changer. So finally they came to, to the game. Now, to them, what they're doing isn't too late, because nobody else is doing what they're doing. They're lucky, but yeah. they're lucky that they got other things they were doing that make them keep relevant. Saying, "Boy, you got a company like Wang, for example, who've, who've gone or Compaq, yeah. and now part of HP. They had to merge somebody yeah. or they're gone, and they won't know them anymore." Now I'm looking back at the guys I used to know years ago. The companies, well, where are they? Where are they? Where they've all disappeared because they couldn't innovate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, look at BlackBerry; they're still around. Yeah. They're still, they're still, uh, but at the same time. Uh, when I came into the, when I first carried a, a BlackBerry for corporate email, they were the go-to. They, if you had corporate email, it was pretty yeah. much a BlackBerry device. And, you know, the keyboard, the entire QWERTY keyboard with tiny little punch things that, you know, and something was only this form factor, like maybe three inches wide. Um, and you look at an example of where they missed the boat when the disruption kicked in. Now, like I said, they're still about, but, uh, you know, it would have been hard to imagine Back in corporate email days, maybe 10, 12 years ago, that BlackBerry wouldn't be as pervasive as it is today from a technology perspective. And I think that's the key, isn't it? it, it it's um, it's easy to miss the disruption. I think the important part, and it's the, the case for why you, you do need to have a focus on, on innovation in some form. Well, in my view, BlackBerry's USP was had a great, robust service that guaranteed you client email that was secure. Yeah. They should have got technology and, and said to Apple and other guys like Samsung or whatever, we're going to list it to you. Would you buy it yeah. off us? And I yeah. guarantee if they'd done that, they'd still be around. But they yeah. were stuck with their technology and Apple came out with the view is, the, the whole screen has got to be, uh, the whole phone should be a screen. We don't need a keyboard. Have a keyboard that yeah. appears on the screen and that's what they did. And uh, BlackBerry didn't think that was going to be important but in my view it was. Absolutely. I mean, I think it goes back to the, 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 the conversation around BlackBerry was a hardware or software company, or which side of that equation did the company itself see? Obviously, the hardware with the physical device was, was a big part of what they did, but to your point, the software, the approach, and how they actually served up that corporate email in a secure manner, which that could have been the part that was white labeled and offered up to other companies, it, might, it may have kept them, certainly from a revenue and income perspective, uh, more popular and Certainly, a long, longer term than maybe they got out of it. So remember, well, remember that when they lost their their tablet called the Playbook, yeah, and in the end it was been sold for like thirty euro. It was it, it wasn't doing that well. And they had to sell it off, and I'm thinking, 
No, you don't get into an air like that unless you know it's going to sell well. And, and at that point, iPad was king, and the others came on board. I was like, well, how are you going to compete with those? You've got a brand name, which is great. The problem is the technology you're providing that doesn't, doesn't suit. Yeah, and if you think of an example of tablet, the tablet was almost like, uh, when the iPad was first launched, a lot of people were wondering, oh, what, it's not a laptop, it's not a desktop, it's something in between. What would I use it for? It was like, it was almost like um, that the the whole, you know, was it Henry Ford, if I asked people what they wanted, would have told me a faster horse. It, there was a bit of that yeah. about the, the tablet because people were like a little bit confused as to what it actually, what problem it solved. It probably goes back to that innovation kind of horizons and how you view it. Sometimes, it, even though it, 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 it helps to be product-led and, and do, you know, design thinking, user-centered design and ask people what they want, Sometimes, though, in the innovation game, you're going to have to do more ideas, test and learn and try things out because, you know, sometimes people don't even know what they want or what you're developing in the case of the tablet was was something that wasn't even a concept within the consumer domain. So it's always an interesting one. There's always that, that tension between asking uh, and giving the consumer versus what you may, uh, they may not even know they want yet. Well, to me, it was, it was too for, for sales guys on the road and... You're afford to be using a, a laptop, and their view, forget laptop, we'll give them a tablet. And it can do all, everything a laptop can do, and they need to do, we'll have the apps for them to be able to key in stuff. They can get their email, they've got Outlook on there, all the things they need, they've got, they got Word as well. And when you showcase a product, there's apps there that can do that for them. It also means that basically, you're not spending time pulling out a, a laptop and then turn it on and find out, have I got enough uh, battery power or how do I charge it up? That's the kind of, and to me, that's what it did, and it's, it, it's since then it's changed so much. And now you got the the uh, Microsoft Surface, which yeah. to me is a great little device. That the tablet come laptop does a bit of both, yeah. and it's great. No, absolutely, really lo- lovely product, and it struck the balance between. It probably sits as a, ca- a foot in both camps, laptop and tablet, but it's that flexibility is something that's very very valuable for sure. Yeah, and I also I've seen people using iPads uh, that have got a keyboard case. What it was a keyboard they can use, and, and, and it, when you're using that, it looks exactly like you're using a laptop. And that to me is great that you can do that with, with, with technology that's so easy to carry around. And, and you know, basically, you have to go and charge it up. You can charge it pretty quickly, and the battery lasts for ages. Yeah, no, that, that, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. That remote and the ability to take it with you and, and bring it anywhere you need. Because I can remember years ago when I, had a, when I had one of the first laptops, three hours battery life. Right, and you go somewhere and you think, well, okay, where do I go plug it in? What do I do? What do I do? How long would it last? And you're thinking, and then when I got a MacBook Pro, I was getting about maybe nine, ten hours back to life, which is great. Wouldn't wouldn't yeah. worry. Game changer. Uh, we were talking about it just as uh, we were chatting at the start. Yeah. Um, batteries, you know, and the the tech, even the technology and the innovation around batteries is incredible. I was looking there recently. There's a Californian startup that put a their own battery technology into a. But I want to say it was a Tesla Model 3, and they got a 780-mile uh, range. Yeah. Uh, out of, so, you know, same footprint, same battery, sorry, same same battery size, but within whatever they're doing from a technology perspective. And, and when you're talking about innovation, I mean, these guys, it's clever to put into a, a Model 3 is really interesting because I don't know if they're looking for Elon to come and get them in contact with them, but certainly it's a good play. But, like, you know, when you start to think about adoption of technology from an innovation perspective and what, what kind of tips it over that, that whole cross in the chasm or, or, or whatever you want to call it if cars electric cars get up to 700 plus mo- uh, of miles uh, and they're comparative to any of the clean diesel or, 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 or petrol cars of today 
that they can get that concern that people have, which is a very valid one. If you're doing a return trip to Cork yeah. and you're going some distance, you know, the, the need to have to pull into charge uh, versus if a car can almost do the equivalent of a diesel car, then that will be a bit of a game changer yeah, for the, the, the <coughs> Mercedes car. have got a new car, can do about a thousand mile range. Problem yep. is, when you're talking about that kind of brand name, like Mr. Tesla, these aren't cheap. No. So it'll be years before it trickles down, but eventually you'll get technology that at first when it innovates, starts at the very top and it's on yep. the high end products. And it's suddenly rolled down. It's like years ago when you had a smartphone. Smartphones cost a lot of money. Now they're about six or 70 euros to buy one. And the cheap ones you can buy, do what they want to do. They're decent enough in that they do what the high-end phones could do years ago. And you'll see that eventually. And I remember about 11 years ago, Apple bought a patent for solar-powered uh, charging on, the, on, their, on their phones. Yeah. I'm not sure where it'll come in, but the idea is that when we get more eco-friendly, if you can have your phone in, you're in a room and there's light coming around, in fact, that can be used to charge your, your device up. That's where it's going to be game-changing. That will come in soon, hopefully. And that will be something else that's going to change how we use the devices. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, installed a solar installation, a solar array here at the house last year. Um, and I'm just looking. It's a nice, bright, sunny day there in Donegal. And I know that I'm south-facing there at the back of the house, so I just know... There's plenty of, of power that goes into the batteries there. And what's really nice about that is then, you know, over the course of the day, I'll be drawing off the batteries instead of the mains. Like the solar opportunity when it comes to the green agenda helps meet some of our targets. But in addition to that, you know, there's really no reason why any technology device in the next couple of years hasn't embedded solar within it. Uh, and we move away from this idea of having to plug something into a wall. Um, you know, cars, EV cars is, is another example. Why not fit the solar technology directly into the actual car so that when it's sitting outside uh, in the sunlight or even the daylight now, which is where the technology's gone, that the car can actually also charge itself, you know. It, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating space. It's close to my heart. Because I think we're going to find to find that solar is the future because as we try to get more and more renewable, we have to, we have to find ways of doing that that's not going to uh, impact on the ecosystem. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and there's another stat, uh, again, off the top of my head, but something like, is it enough enough sunlight hits the earth in one month for the entire, maybe even a week for yeah. the entire energy use for the world for for, the, for a year? So, like, that's the untapped opportunity, you know, that once once you get in on the solar thing, it's a really powerful, uh, and it's more daylight now than it is sunlight too, which is also great to see. Yeah, I can just see it's using that more so, because... Right now, everyone's talking about maybe wind power, etc. But I'm thinking solar is just as important. And we're lucky we're, we're in a country where we've got wind and we've got solar. It's a lot of sun, but I think sun's more important to us than anything else. Yeah, I mean, um, the, I'm sitting in Donegal. I think it's Ireland's most largest producer of wind energy in the country. We yeah. get more wind, I think, than any other county. But they're, um, they're expensive. They're big. Uh, they have to take up large areas of land and obviously there's some concerns uh, around bird wildlife and, and the likes as well um, but they're they're not they're not easy put up they're not cheap to build and they're also expensive enough to maintain whereas I'm really excited about is the micro generation of solar and what we're starting to see now with solar uh, arrays appearing on people's houses around the country I just recently got a smart meter installed so the next step here is logically, that idea of if, if a million of us in the country are generating some level of electricity uh, and we're not using it and we're giving that back to the grid, you know, it, all of those little things together will add up and certainly will, will help us in the direction that we're going. But the idea of solar that I like is that 
in theory at least, if we see the continued incentives from the government and other things, there's no reason why everyone in the country can contribute towards the solar uh, kind of gain. Whereas from the wind perspective, I'm not sure it's going to be open to everybody to set up their own wind. You know, I think wind things can be very, very noisy. I've heard it can be noisy at times, and I'm thinking with solar, right now, the way the problems are going with, our, with the price of it, of it just going up and up and up, I can see solar in a way that we, if we can sell part of our electricity back to the grid, it'll cut our costs. Yeah, even um, even with getting a smart meter installed now, when I, when I, when I set up with the solar uh, installation, I also got a, a fairly large battery array installed, a 7.2 yeah. kilowatt battery array. What I kind of didn't realize when I got the smart meter was that it has been the, a bit of a game changer, particularly in the winter months where there's less daylight clearly. Uh, I'm able to charge the battery to capacity from between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m. when it's the cheapest time for the electricity to be generated in the country. But it's also the cheapest time for me as a consumer. So, you know, when I give a shout out to companies, the company I'm with is a seven cent uh, a unit rate at between two and four a.m. Yeah. So my inverter automatically at two minutes past two so, uh, draws power from the grid, fully charges the batteries outside of whatever the sun didn't do that day. And then I, I, I leave, leave off the batteries then for the rest of the day. It's pretty much about five or six in the evening time. So... Even without solar alone, the, the concept of battery storage for energy and bringing it in yeah. at, a, at a cheaper rate is also something that shouldn't be underestimated as well. I guess basically we're going, we're going to find in the future technology that they is going to become more affordable as it's used more. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's the, it's the old uh, OLED television Blu-ray examples, right? I suppose it's probably the easiest one for everyone to understand is the Blu-ray player at the start is six 700 uh, euro. By the time, you know, fast forward a couple of years and, and, and the, 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 the large amount of the population have adopted technology is down to 50 or 60 euro. I think you're always going to continue to see that with technology. And, and we mentioned the cloud. You've seen it with the cloud also. Yeah. The more people that have started using the cloud, the more capacity has gone into the cloud. The price point has actually gone down, not up, which is, uh, which is incredible, really. Yeah. And before we finish off, anything else from that podcast or you think you've said enough? No, I think I'm happy enough if you yeah. are. Yeah, I am. I think we got, we got plenty of good content there, Ronan. Yeah, obviously, we did, and I was yeah. interested in the conversation as well. I really enjoyed it. No problem. Very happy to very happy to take part. Thanks for the opportunity no as well. By the way, lovely, lovely to meet you. Yeah, likewise. And uh, have a great day. Lovely. Have All right, listen, Ronan, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. All thanks, right. Take care and bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.